conference. Thank you very much, and thanks to everyone uh, for joining us today. My name is Blake Rutherford, and uh, on our call, uh, as always, Howard Schweitzer, the managing partner of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, and Mark Alderman, the chairman of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. Uh, Mark Howard, great to be with you guys. Thanks, Blake. Thanks, Blake. Uh, I, um, uh, you know, my bracket is is officially busted. Um, and uh, not I can, Howard. Uh, Howard Howard is the only one still in the game. And and while I think it would be it would be more fun uh, to prognosticate about the Sweet Sixteen, uh, I want to begin our discussion Go today. Ripped. Yeah, that's right. Uh, ripped ripped from the headlines. Um, and I want to start with 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 what were in in a general. Um, political context, some rather extraordinary developments um, yesterday on Capitol Hill. Um, you both are are in Washington today. You have been on the Hill. We've all been on the Hill over the last several weeks. Um, but yesterday, um, the director of the FBI, James Comey, um, testified before Congress um, in which he made some uh, very interesting revelations, the first of which was that there was no basis for the president's accusations that President Obama had wiretapped Trump Tower. And the second was that the FBI was conducting an investigation into uh, the relationship between Trump, Trump's campaign and Russia's interference. Um, Mark, I want to begin with you. Um, certainly, you can scan Twitter. You can go anywhere on the web. And this is everywhere. What do you make of this at at this stage? Um, is this something that that is that is very serious um, for this administration? And what are the political calculations that the Democrats are making by by feeding this story? Well, yes, I think Blake, this is very serious for the country. Forget red and blue, R and D for the moment. It's very serious for the country when an enemy has hacked into our electoral process and the FBI is conducting an investigation into whether one of the presidential campaigns colluded with that enemy. That is very serious. What does it mean for the administration? What does it mean politically? I think we don't know yet because we don't know where it goes. The most important thing that happened politically with Comey's testimony yesterday, and Blake, you and I are familiar with this from uh, the presidential campaign, the most important thing that happened with Comey's testimony is that it's not going away. This is going to continue to be an issue. And it is going to continue to be a distraction, it is going to continue to cost the administration time and to a degree capital. And we don't know where it's going because we don't know what we're going to learn. But serious is a good word for it, I think. How, Howard, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, you, uh, we... Uh, we we see and and watch congress engage in investigations quite frequently um do you sense that 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 at this point um 
the director of the FBI's testimony um, has cost the Trump administration anything? And, and I want to get your thoughts about that. And then I want to get your thoughts about the ramifications on their policy agenda. But let's start with the with the impact of of the director's testimony yesterday. And obviously significant from a political point of view and from a legal point of view, um, and, and extraordinary. Think about, I mean, sometimes I think history unfolds right in front of your eyes and it's hard to, it's hard to see. Uh, obviously everybody knows this is a big deal, but this is, this is of epic historic proportions. And, you know, depending on the outcome. And um, we have no idea what the outcome is going to be. I think, I think we know it's, it's not going to be that Obama was spying on Trump. Um, who knows what else it will be? I think it's much more consequential, Blake and Mark, for the long-term health um, of, of the Trump presidency, potentially, than it is impactful on the day-to-day agenda right now. And and Howard I want to I want to stick with that theme because because certainly it, you know to the to the less sophisticated eye one would think this is this is all the administration is dealing with and I know later in our call we're going to we're going to debunk that myth to to preview what I think both of you will say. Um but but in terms of of day to day in in the West Wing, um, you, you know, you commented before Howard about about the administration's sort of slowness in building up their building up their staff, um, the challenges of not being ready, of not using transition well. Um, do you think though that 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 one of the one of the the challenges that this presents is that with a short staff. Uh, there's only so much you can get to in a day, and putting out fires becomes priority number one. Yeah, but it becomes priority number one for a small subset of, of people. And let's say you're Gary Cohn, the head of the NEC, the National Economic Council, former president of Goldman, and you're there in the West Wing. Sure, you're interested in this from kind of a big-picture political perspective, it's not impacting your job. If you're Gary Cohen, it's not impacting what you're doing day to day. You're focused on the economic agenda. You're focused on infrastructure. You're focused on tax reform. You're focused on deregulation. You're focused on Dodd-Frank. You're not focused on, on, on this or even the, the long-term political consequences of it. You're, you're focused on your job. Mark, well, Howard, I think are, you're right, of course, that not everyone in the White House is consumed with, with Russia. Some are consumed with health care, which we're about to get to. But I, I do think that the longer-term consequences are highly relevant to everyone in the administration because of the potential potential impact on the president's relationship with the congressional Republicans. That's what this is all about politically. It's about at what point, if any, if any, at what point the congressional Republicans say enough is enough. 
and we're no longer listening to this guy. One of the things to remember about yesterday, Blake, as a congressional baseball matter, if you will, is uh, Paul Ryan did not have to let that hearing happen. And it did not have to get conducted the way it did with the ranking member opening with uh, 15 minutes of remarks. Now, the Republicans did not dump on Trump, but they did let the hearing roll out and they didn't come to his defense. So you have to watch that trend line to see where where the relationship is going. There there are all sorts of political calculations that... Paul Ryan and the rest of the Republicans in the Senate and, and the House are making about how to deal with him um, on, on, on this, on this. Um, but I, I think, Mark, you know, and Blake, what, what people are telling me, what I'm hearing is put your head down and do your job. Yeah, people are thinking about the bigger picture political implications, but um, – the Republicans in Congress, my answer to your question, Mark, how long they stick with him, is if this ever turns into an impeachable matter, that's when this breaks. Until then, they have no choice but to stick with him to a very significant extent. They've got priorities, things they want to get done. The only way to do them is to do them with the president. And so until we get to a true breaking point, I don't think you're going to see a lot of breakage between the caucus and the White House. Well, let's talk about the, that, you know, I, I guess arguably, um, because we'll touch on two, um, the biggest policy priority, which is uh, the repeal and replace of the Affordable Care Act, which has been moving at a, at a, at a swift pace. Um, and is uh, ripe for a vote, uh, at least by all accounts, at, at, as of this call, um, for Thursday. And Mark, you're you're in Washington working on this issue today. I, I thought I thought you might um, just just sort of give us an inside look at at what you're seeing and hearing on the Hill. What we're seeing and hearing, Blake, is uh, conventional congressional whipping of the vote and sweetening of the pot to get to 216. Uh, there are some vacancies in, in the House, so 216 is the majority that uh, the bill needs. And there has been some movement in, in that direction. The most recent movement was the sort of wholesale buy-in of the upstate New York Republican delegation based on some tinkering with an arcane Medicaid provision about whether the county or the state gets to pick who gets paid. So there is a lot of uh, politicking, small p politicking going on on the Hill. And uh, I would say as of uh, as of 12.15 on Tuesday, uh, I think they'll get there on Thursday. W what happens next is a whole different conversation. How, Howard, what are what are your thoughts about about the uh, where we stand in in terms of this health care debate. Um, I mean, certainly we have 
a lot of folks who have who have a stake in this. Um, and we are seeing, you know, as as Mark described, um, you know, sweetening of the deal to try and get to 216. What do you make of 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 the current healthcare dynamic? And I I asked that question part in context to the relationship, you know, over the Russian dynamic and what it all presents for uh, this particular policy piece. I really think they're they're independent um, of one another. You know, they, the changes in the House sweetened it in two directions. They sweetened it for the moderates yeah. and sweetened it for the conservatives. And I, I agree with Mark. I think it will pass. I think when it goes to the Senate, all the sweetener is going to be on the moderate side of the the equation. And I think there's a reasonable chance that something passes the Senate and then gets kicked back to the House. And, and that's going to be tough because it's either going to be pass or not, and they're not going to, you know, kick it back again. And it's either going to get done or it isn't, and that's where we'll end up on 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 the bill. Yeah. Yeah, I think, Blake, if, if I may just jump in uh, with Please. a little wonky comment for 30 seconds. Uh, Howard's, of course, right that it got sweetened in both directions for conservatives and, and moderates alike. But the sweetening for the moderates is on the health exchange side and finding – some extra money for senior citizens whose premiums would have been catastrophic and and unaffordable otherwise. The sweetening on the Medicaid side is just deeper and deeper cutting. And I think think there's going to be a real issue on the Senate side in in whether they they can get by with that, especially since, and, and we'll save this for another call, but you alluded to it, Howard. Um, the Senate may may be able to reconcile with 50 votes uh, some of this, but some of it they can't, and it, it's just a whole different calculus over there. So, so stay tuned is is really the message on on repeal and replace. I, yeah, and Howard, go ahead. No, 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 that's fine. Leave it oh, there. yeah. Well, I was gonna I was going to ask. I mean, in terms of in terms of of where things stand, it, 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 if it, let's talk about the the policy is is of course fascinating. Let's let's though talk a little bit about the politics um, because again, I don't at, at some stage that you know the two converge. Um, it, it is are Republicans, Howard? Do you think better off passing this bill? In the House, um, knowing that it is going to run into a run into a to a stone wall in the Senate, um, or it, you know, I think maybe as as you suggested, you know, last week there there is political opportunity even if the bill fails. Um, I thought I thought you might just unpack the politics for us from a Republican perspective. Yeah, I, my view is that there, yes, the House is better off passing something. The Republican caucus as a whole is probably better off passing something out of the House. I think if a bill passes at the end of the day, 
they're ultimately setting themselves up for some political pain in 2018 because it's not going to be because they're they're doing the same things the the same thing that the Repub that the Democrats did with the original passage of the ACA, which is um, set yourself up with a bad bill to be shellacked politically. But I think the calculus they're making is we promise the American people and the calculus Trump is making is I promise this to the American people and come hell or high water, I'm going to deliver. And it has huge implications for keeping the white house in, in 2020 and we'll deal with the details. Tom Price will deal with the details through regulation and through another bill and we'll get it to a better place, but we've got to make good on our promise. Mark, your your reaction to that because um, you know the the Democrats sure. have, have have acknowledged um, to a degree that their tweaks need to be made. Certainly, there's it, it's it's unlikely they are they're going to their caucus is going to find um, next to any support for these tweaks. But what do you make of the of the politics of of repeal and replace? Do the Democrats have yeah. are, are they are they in a strong position now, or are they are they negotiating from a weaker weaker vantage point? Well, at the moment, the Democrats aren't negotiating at all. That'll start if and when it gets to the Senate. But going back to what I said a second ago, there are a million things going on in this health care legislation, but most fundamentally, there are two things. Most fundamentally, it is how do we fix the health care exchanges under the Affordable Care Act, because everybody agrees they aren't working, and it is how deep can we cut Medicaid. And how deep can we cut Medicaid is just a red and blue R&D issue, maybe, maybe. Your home state Senator Tom Cotton has been heard on that. Maybe there are a couple of Republicans who won't go that far when it gets to the Senate. But the as a political matter, by and large, the people hurt by cutting Medicaid are not Republican voters and not Trump voters. The people hurt by not fixing the health care exchanges or making them worse, frankly, as some believe the original proposal does, those people are the people showing up at these town hall meetings and yelling at the Republicans. And those are the people that the president is trying to protect, which is why when the bill got adjusted, you saw more money being put into seniors on the exchanges and more money being taken away from poor people in the Medicaid program. I think... Like back on the politics, I think one of the things that's interesting is you've got a lot of Republicans saying we, we have we have the best negotiator in chief, and and he's going to fix this. I mean, I, as I said last week on our call, this is all about ownership. Who owns this? Who owns the passage or failure to pass of this thing, and and the contents, and. You got to look at every communication everybody's making in, through that lens because that's the game that they're playing. Well, the one thing you know the, that you know is 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 interesting to me about 
about the state of Washington, D.C. today is that we also have a Supreme Court nominee who um, is on day two of of his hearings, and yet, you know, it seems to be very far um, in the background, um, which I guess perhaps is a testament to the the media's interest in Russia and and healthcare. But but briefly, before we pivot to what all this noise really means practically, um, Mark, what do you make of of, of us of of DC and and more the the country at large not really focused as intently on on uh, on Judge Gorsuch's nomination as we almost always are when a Supreme Court nominee is put forward. Well, I think it is in part Blake what you said, which is the media bandwidth is being consumed by Russia and healthcare. So this is plainly a third-place finisher in the competition for shelf space. But I think it's another thing as well. Really, the only drama in the Gorsuch uh, process is the progressives in the Democratic Party pushing the Democratic Senate caucus to oppose Gorsuch, because the result was known the day that Trump made this announcement. This man, five years ago, was confirmed with 99 votes in the United States Senate. If it weren't a stolen seat, there wouldn't be all of the little bit of noise that there is. And he's going to get confirmed. I think he gets confirmed with 60 votes. But if necessary, Mitch McConnell will pull a Harry Reid and invoke the nuclear option and pass the nomination with 50 and Mike Pence breaking the tie if necessary. So I think one reason it is third place on the list is that the, the result is known. It's, it's only about the drama. Howard, I want to before we pivot to the the practical realities of this, I want to I want to touch on um, you know something that, that we're certainly keenly keenly focused on, which is infrastructure um, and transportation. And just briefly, you know, we we had a question um, come in about about an omnibus spending bill um, that would be focused on infrastructure and transportation. Um, well, I just wanted to get your thoughts. What are you hearing out of out of the Congress in terms of where infrastructure and and transportation is going? I, you know, as Mark just said, the media is consumed with other things, but um, things are happening. I thought you might just touch on um, kind of what you're hearing from the Hill on on transportation and infrastructure. High on um, the president's list of of agenda items, but behind. Uh, healthcare, obviously, which we've talked about, and and tax reform, and uh, so it it's it's there. Um, uh, there's less app. There's less enthusiasm um, among the the Republicans in Congress for a lot of infrastructure spending, a big spending package than um, Trump might like, but. I think there will come a time where he'll, where he'll put the pedal to the metal on it, but this isn't that time. In the budget that was released last week, they did pull 
and this is a little bit of a game, but they're, the budget takes some of the infrastructure money that's out there out of its regular channels and seeks to kind of repackage it in a broader infrastructure package, which is really not not consequential, uh, in my opinion. So it's a priority, but but it's a today it's a it's a distant priority. We're just not there yet. Okay. Well, I want to I want to pivot now to to sort of we've talked about we've talked about you know the these these massive political issues that are are of at, at least affecting um what we read and talk about but this is only a part of broader government activity um around a number of issues and we just talked about infrastructure and 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 spending but Howard I want to come back to you and and get a get a sense um for people who are on the call um kind of what what I'm going to call the K Street perspective which is you know what are your what are your thoughts right now about the relationship between between K Street and 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 the administration? Um, do you sense that that there is that there is a means to to effectively engage? Um, and and if so, what does that engagement um, look like? Because and I I want to just preface the question for our listeners by saying one of the things that I hear often is it really just seems like nothing can get done. And I want to know if we can debunk that myth a little bit. Um, and so, Howard, I wanted to get your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot is getting done, can get done. If you're somebody that has an issue, you're a, if your company has an issue that you need to deal with, um, you know, at, at, let's say, the Department of Transportation, or the Environmental Protection Agency, you're not impacted by healthcare. You're not impacted by um, Russia. You are. You need to get in there and advocate for your issue, and, and that includes into the administration and includes up to the hill. These every Senate office, every House office has somebody who's focusing at least part-time and, and really these days full-time on, on the health care bill. But there are lots of other people doing lots of other things. And the members have bandwidth. And they're not stopping their advocacy on behalf of constituent interests or stopping their responsibilities as chairman or, or subcommittee chairman or members or ranking members of, of committees or subcommittees. It's the business of Washington goes on and it's it's a it's a it's very important to engage and, and it's very important to engage now. Now in terms of the administration, you know, as we've been saying, they're not they're anything other than fully staffed. I mean they are so far away from being set up to to govern it's ridiculous, but it, in a year that you know, at at the end of the year, they they will be. But they're already they're, there's a lot happening, and you've got to get in and talk to people again. Like if if you're if you're Scott Pruitt at the EPA, you've got an agenda. 
and the president has an agenda, and you're focused on running your agency and executing on your agenda, not this bigger picture political stuff at all. So you've got to be talking to those people if you've got Mark, an environmental issue. Yeah, Mark, I, I wanted to I wanted to to get your thoughts on on that as well because it, you know, one of the challenges that you know that I hear from people is yeah, but but how? It seems like there's you know they're not staffed that we're not really sure who to engage with. Um, uh, you know, practically, I thought you might just offer some insight from your perspective of watching the administration you know, start up back in 2009, um, you know, practically, what what do people need to be thinking about other than, you know, picking up the phone and calling you? Well, I hope they're thinking about that, Blake, but a <laughs> couple of observations from the work we're doing for the people who have picked up the phone and called. Uh, not everybody is not staffed. For example, the secretary's office at HHS is staffed and active and engaged, as is the White House Domestic Policy Council, not only on this massive legislation that is uh, pending, but also on the programs and the regulations that they have pledged to take a look at, pledged uh, to change. And CMS is staffing up uh, at HHS. So not everybody is not staffed, and certainly HHS is, is open for business. They will be more so when the repeal and replace passes. Uh, secondly, the agencies, some of them, like EPA is a great example, Howard, that aren't yet staffed are getting staffed. Pruitt made a whole host of appointments yesterday, and I think what is happening in a number of agencies is the landing teams that got in there late and were kind of fingers in the dike in the early days are now being replaced by the actual appointee and the appointee's appointees. And and I do think that some of these agencies will be more more open for business than than they have been. I think where that is still not true and still unlikely to be true for some time is in the White House itself. And in an administration that is so executive-centric, not because of this administration, uh, that has been a trend as we've discussed for decades, uh, I think that that's where the distractions are having uh, an impact. But I, I do think uh, out in the agencies that there is, as Howard says, a lot of work getting done. I mean, it's, it's, it is hard to figure out who to talk to in some of these situations. I think you don't know who's coming. You don't know who's going. It's really important to, um, to be able to connect in to people you know. I think in a, a touch of irony, I think far from draining the swamp, I think – here at the beginning of the administration, the swamp is deepening because um, everybody's drinking from a fire hose, and so you need to be able to connect into to people you know, um, which 
some people can and some people can't. Um, but and there is this question around, you know, who's who and who do you talk to? And I'll tell you, I, this is there's nothing new about this movie from the following perspective. Every administration, and I, I've written about this. I, I, we wrote about it, Mark. You and I wrote about it. I wrote about it during the election. The first people in are always the campaign types. They're always the loyalists. And then the, the quote-unquote professionals come in to run these agencies, the people that are expected to deal with more of the substance, not, not the politics. And there's a tug-of-war between, um, in this case, the Trumpsters and the, the people that are, are more substantive, and the people that are more substantive inside the agencies almost always win, which isn't to say that the White House doesn't have a – the White House absolutely has a say in, in who the people are. But, but for example, I mean, some of these deputy um, – many deputy positions, cabinet secretary-level positions are still open. And, and those are positions that may well be filled by – by quote loyalists, by by people that are have been politically associated with Trump, maybe more than the head of the agency, but they have no power. The head of the agency has all the power. That's the way the executive branch works. That's absolutely who the appointees look to um, from a decision-making perspective. They don't look to the deputy. They look to the the secretary or the administrator, or whoever, whoever the head of the agency is. So to, to summarize that, I think the, the kind of Trump loyalist campaign people are either, either beginning, already beginning to burn off, maybe embodied in, in a deputy or, or a senior person or two, but, but they're, they're just less relevant as time goes on. And, and people that are more substantive reign supreme. Well, Howard, with one with one exception, which is that this White House has been placing in the agencies loyalists who are a liaison between the agency and the White House on policy and politics above the traditional White House liaison, every administration has White House liaison who function at a lower level and a service level, if you will. But there are people being placed in these agencies to make sure that the White House knows what's going on and is heard about what it wants to be going on. So I, I wouldn't discount the the Trump loyalists who have been placed in these positions by the White House just yet. I think what you're saying about the landing teams and some of the campaign people is is very true. I'm just telling you there's as time goes by, I've seen this happen multiple <clears throat> times. You can call the position whatever you want to call it. There's no question about who's running the Environmental Protection Agency. There is no question about who's running the Department of Defense. There's no question about who's running the Department of Transportation. That's who people look to. Yes, there will 
it's not that it's it's the White House is important. The White House is the White House. But I'm just telling you, Mark, I've seen it many times. This isn't going to be any different at the end of the day. Connecting until the, it, it, and it depends on the issue, and that's why you've got to you get it. You have your issue. You've got to map out who the players are. You know, let's say it is healthcare. Okay, you've got price at HHS. You've got price people in the White House. Price came from the Hill. You've got Pence. Like those are the. Well, and Seema Verna at CMS is a right. Pence person from Indiana, of course. She's from right? Indiana. That's why I say not everyone is not staffed. Healthcare is is an exception to that. Uh, you might want to ask Secretary Mattis, who in fact is running the Department of Defense, since the White House vetoed his choice for a deputy. But with 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 that note, <laughs> I, no, I, I, I look, and that's that's bad. But my point is, yeah, they vetoed his choice for for choices for deputies. Um, but it, at the end of the day, so they put a chair in there as a deputy. Big deal. Mattis is still running the Defense Department. The point is, you've got to really map this stuff out and think about in the context of your particular agency and your particular issue, where the pressure points are, where the politics lead, where it does connect into the White House, um, you know, what charge the head of the agency has, why is the head of the agency, why is he or she there, um, and, and, and take a very strategic and tailored approach to your issue, as opposed to falling into the trap, which which we were talking about earlier, which is these huge things are going on and nothing's getting done in Washington and nobody's in these jobs. Um, this isn't a time to be asleep at the wheel. It's a time to be very active, but very strategic and thoughtful about how you get things done. Well, I think that's that's an excellent note to to sort of wind down wind down our call today. Um, uh, certainly, a lot of a lot of activity happening and a lot of good insight and and advice on this call, Mark and Howard. I I appreciate you taking the time, and I thank everyone who uh, has joined us. Um, next week, um, we're going to have um, a, a special guest join our call. We're going to. We're going to dive into the issues of tax reform, um, and and we'll have some more information uh, that we'll get out to you um, about that. But I think, as we've seen with healthcare, um, and and as we've as we've talked about previously with with the relationship between healthcare and tax reform as these two very very big and and intertwined issues, um, I think it'll be an insightful call, um, and so I hope you will join us for that. Uh, as always, comments and questions are welcome. Presidential analysis at cozen.com. Um, and with that.